Greetings and welcome to the Firm Meditation Podcast. I'm Camilo Gonzalez and today we're talking about the political situation in Venezuela. What's really happening to our South in the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela? On the one hand, we're seeing these videos, these troubling videos, of massive demonstrations, um, of people having difficulty obtaining basic food stuff, of huge opposition uh, against the government of President Nicolas Maduro. On the other hand, uh, we're hearing President Maduro himself uh, talking about imperialism, uh, that these troubles are externally imposed uh, by forces opposed uh, to his government and to the Bolivarian revolution started by his predecessor, the late Hugo Chavez. And we have countries in CARICOM, many of them having benefited tremendously from the Petro-Carib scheme um, put in place by Hugo Chavez and continued by President Maduro. We have these CARICOM countries expressing tremendous support um, for constitutional processes, for dialogue, and for peace in Venezuela, and using terms like sovereignty and independence and self-determination. Who's right? Who's wrong? And indeed, who's on the right side of history at this critical juncture? in Venezuela's own development. I'm joined in this conversation by Dr. the Honorable Ralph Gonzalez, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and a leading proponent of maintenance of international law and respect for the sovereignty and independence of states. Prime Minister, I think it's fair to say that in recent months, St. Vincent and the Grenadines has played an outsized role in the regional and international diplomacy uh, surrounding the Venezuela issue, and that you personally uh, have been involved uh, to a very great extent. Why? Why is St. Vincent and the Grenadines involved, and why are you involved in matters surrounding Venezuela? Well, it is true that St. Vincent and the Grenadines has played an important role in halting the move towards intervention and interference in the internal affairs of Venezuela by some countries in the hemisphere which are principally interested in hegemony and Venezuela's oil. Let us begin with the factual background and the principles involved in international relations. You become a member of the Organization of American State because you are a sovereign nation, you're independent. Yes. From as long ago as 1648 at the Treaty of Westphalia at the end of the Thirty Years' War, 
the concept of the nation state was crystallized. And with it, the adornment of sovereignty and independence. And all hemispheric international bodies, the OAS, the United Nations, are predicated on a respect for sovereignty and independence and non-interference and non-intervention in the internal affairs of states. Now, the only circumstances in which you can interfere are extremely limited. For instance, if a country attacks you militarily, then you have a right of self-defense. Yes. If circumstances have deteriorated so rapidly in the country that it becomes a security threat to neighbors and the region. But these, none of these things exist in Venezuela. What you have in Venezuela is intense competition for political power. What do we have in Venezuela? The opposition controls the assembly. The government, the ruling party controls the presidency. They control the army and the police. They control the main levers of the economy, PDVSA, the, the, the oil company. And, it's, yes. and of course, the judiciary is an independent body to hold the balance. Now, in the United States of America, <clears throat> from time to time, you have more Republicans on the, on the Supreme Court. You may have the Congress, the House of Representatives, and the Senate in, in the hands of one party, yes. the presidency in another. You may have a lot of intense political competition, even sometimes demonstrations and violence on the streets, but that doesn't mean that you do not have a country where the people can't sort out their problems among themselves. It's the same issue in relation to, to, to Venezuela. And what happens, what has happened is that the the right wing in the United States. There are two things which coincide there for them with Venezuela. Hegemony and also money in respect of the oil. That's what they, those are the things which 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 um linked together. When Reagan invaded Grenada, a lot of people in the United States in, in the power circles, one so exercised one way or the other, because that was just a political thing. But this is now politics and money, and plenty of money. Yes. Now, the, there are some persons who say that, well, they see some hardships in respect of 
food not being available, that some people have to line up for food. Well, in several countries in the world, people line up for food. But that, doesn't, that is not a reason to intervene. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Prime Minister, because the coverage may be biased, but the coverage that we're seeing shows people lining up for food, sometimes uh, searching in garbage cans for food. Uh, there's something in the media uh, called a Maduro diet, uh, where the entire population seems to have lost weight, uh, if you believe some of the reports. Um, you hear about the hospitals lacking medication uh, and, and people uh, exposed to, to serious difficulty for the lack of basic, basic supplies. What's the response to people who see this suffering, who see this deterioration in the quality and standard of life, and say, how can the world do nothing how can the world stand askance to, to what seems to be a mounting humanitarian crisis uh, in this well, country? Undoubtedly, there are economic difficulties, and it spills over into social problems. In July 2008, oil was $148 US dollars a barrel. It fell in the last couple of years to 30-something, 40 US dollars a barrel. So it creates a problem for the government because this is the main source of, of, of revenue. Look at what is happening in Trinidad and Tobago, yes. where there is not a huge expenditure on social programs as you have in Venezuela uh, under the Bolivarian um, Republic. Now, I am, when I watch CNN and Fox and I see certain things, I say, but why don't they show the other side of the picture? Because they will, they will show some demonstrations against the government, but they're not showing huge demonstrations in favor of um, Maduro's administration. They tell us that Maduro has 28% of the popular vote now, according to the polls. Well, Maduro won an election just a few years ago. And when is the next election due in Venezuela? Next year, December. So Maduro is not currently violating any law? By it's, they're, not, they're, not vi they're not violating any law. In fact, Venezuela has had more elections than any other country in the Western Hemisphere since the days of Chavez for all sorts of different positions, for, for, the, for the local government elections, municipal elections, assembly elections, presidential elections, referenda, um, to, to, on Chavez, referenda, on the Constitution, and so on and so forth. So, and all these elections have been pronounced to be free and fair. Now, It is clear that in Venezuela that there are elements in the country which are hoarding, hoarding a lot of food to create difficulties for the government itself. They're using food as a weapon. And when they talk about persons who are being 
the number of persons who are dead. If you do, if you look at the breakdown, I've seen a breakdown. A journalist did the breakdown of persons who died in these clashes, 60-something people over a prolonged period of time. A significant number of them are just looters. And, and, um, and there are more persons who support the government who are killed than persons killed by the, the armed forces or the police. So that, but I come to the basic point that this is a matter for the Venezuelans themselves to solve. Venezuela is not Yemen or Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan. It's none of those places. Look, in the late 1990s, when Carlos Andres Perez had imposed a, a, a tough IMF program, there was, you had a week of prolonged demonstrations. They killed and injured the, the, the forces, about 2,000 persons. There was no call for any intervention then. So I, 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 find, I find this call for intervention to be a self-serving one by those who are making the call. And we have, we in these small countries, and countries across the world, in order to have stable in international relations, we have to respect independence and sovereignty, and we have to, we have to respect um, non-interference and non, and, and um, non-intervention. And we have to, at the same time, in respect of the OS, we have to recognize the importance of representative democracy, the rule of law, and constitutionalism. Now, when the president of Venezuela uses the constitution of Venezuela and they say, okay, the opposition isn't talking, so what we'll do, we'll have a conversation by way of the constitution, by having a constituent assembly. They say no, but that's not unconstitutional. Yes. And when three former presidents and the pope want to hold dialogue, to facilitate dialogue, the opposition is saying no. The pope himself made comments against the opposition as how they were behaving. And they call him the red pope. They caricature him in, in social, on social media. Yes. I, I am... Um, I'm amazed that the same right-wing circles in the United States during the apartheid regime, which called for the doctrine of constructive engagement to be employed with the racist regime in South Africa, are now calling for intervention in Venezuela. Yes. And they were, they were calling for... They were prepared to put... The, the economic stranglehold of monopoly capitalism and the anti-communism of the apartheid regime above the rights of black people in, in, in South Africa. But now you're hearing that um, because some people, according to them, lining up for food, because there are demonstrations, that you must intervene. What we need to have is peace and dialogue, and the OAS and CARICOM must seek 
to engender that dialogue, that conversation, and peace. And this is what we have done at the foreign minister's meeting on May the 17th, CARICOM foreign minister's meeting. That's the way in which we, when we, we, we adopted a declaration at the heads of government meeting on the 29th of May, a meeting by video conference, five-hour meeting on the evening of the 29th of May, and also in all 14 governments in CARICOM stood firm at the OAS on the 31st when we went with a separate declaration to counter that which was supported, which was tabled by Peru and supported by USA, Canada, Argentina, Mexico, Colombia, Panama, and, and, and a few others. But the, 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 the declaration of CARICOM, supported by the 14 governments of CARICOM, plus um, Bolivia, Nicaragua, um, uh, the, the Ecuador, Dominican Republic, and El Salvador. Venezuela didn't turn up at the meeting because they didn't think that they should be discussed. They should be a subject of discussion since they is a matter for Venezuelans. Well, hang on for a minute there, Prime Minister, because you are saying that Venezuela, the situation in Venezuela is nothing like the situation in the Syria, in the Syrian Arab Republic. The United States government is making exactly the opposite argument, and they're saying that Venezuela is uh, like Syria or approaching that level. On June 6th, the United States ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, gave a speech to a, an event at the Human Rights Council in Geneva that was dealing with the human rights situation in Venezuela. I'm going to play you a quote from what she said in her prepared comments, and then I'm going to read something from a news article that reported what she said in the discussion on the human rights situation in Venezuela, where she did make that explicit linkage between Venezuela and Syria. So here's what she said in her prepared remarks. The Venezuelan government is in the midst of destroying human rights and democracy in Venezuela. It is conducting a campaign of violence and intimidation against unarmed demonstrators, businesses, civil society, and freely elected political opposition. Then right after she said that, Prime Minister, this is Nikki Haley, Ambassador Nikki Haley of the United States, she said the following, and I'm quoting her now. She said, this is the reason why I'm so concerned about Venezuela, because in Venezuela, one is hard-pressed to see that Maduro is not following in the same steps as Assad. Of course, Assad is the president of Syria. And she says, we have to make sure we stop it before it gets to that point. And that's from a Reuters news agency article. Uh, the headline is, U.S. denounces Venezuela for repression, demands free elections uh, from Tuesday, June 6th. So the United States is saying Maduro is following in Assad's footsteps and Venezuela is following in Syria's footsteps. There seems to be a difference of opinion here. What, what, what's your response to Ambassador Haley? Well... Clearly, reason has fled when you want to compare what is happening in Venezuela 
with what is happening in Syria and with um, Assad and, and Maduro. Maduro is a, a president elected freely among a lot of competing forces. He got 51% of the vote. The, these elections are always closely contested in Venezuela. Chavez, at one time, I think, got 60%. Yes. But usually Chavez would get in the 50s. In the 50s yes. No. So there is, and people can own radio stations, the opposition own radio stations, they own newspapers, they, 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 their freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, all those things are recognized. And they're taking place before our very eyes. So I, I think with all the respect to the U.S. ambassador, she has a narrative there which a lot of independent observers would not, would, would, would not share. And that is, the, that is the point which I started at very early, that there are some people in, the, in, the, in our hemisphere who have a, a perspective and who are in thirst of hegemony and oil. Yes. And those, we must not get away from those basic truths and also non-interference. Now, you know what amazes me when in the United States that official spokespersons will talk about um, human rights. I've just been reading a book by Chris Hayes called A Colony in a Nation. It's about black people in the United States of America where you have more black people incarcerated now in the United States than ever before and proportionately more incarcerated than during the time of slavery or during the time of Jim, Jim Crow rule. Yes, yes. So that what they have done, they have, the, the powers that be have replaced segregation with a penal institution. With incarceration. With incarceration. Yes. So, so now these, these are facts before everybody in the, in the world, but you can't talk about intervening in the United States because of these, these gross violations. No. They will tell you that they follow the law, but, but the law is pe peculiarly um, not colorblind and is biased against black people. Yes. But, but nobody, because in the United States, there is a, there, there are good people of all races who are looking to change that kind of a, um, arrangement internally. And you have to allow them to change it. You can't call for intervention. Yes. You can comment on it, but you can't call for intervention. No, Prime Minister, you mentioned earlier um, a declaration at the Organization of American States, the OAS, that CARICOM put forward. And you mentioned that there was a competing declaration at the OAS from uh, a group of countries fronted by uh, Peru and supported by the United States and, and Brazil and, and some other countries. Now, let's strip away all of the diplomatic uh, sort of backroom dealing and, and intrigue and get down to the fact that we have 
two groups of countries here that are both clothing themselves in the language of principle, They're talking about principles, and accusing the other side of having less than principled uh, motivations. So, uh, the you have said you've you've said explicitly in this conversation that oil oil is a motivation uh, for a group of countries that are opposed to the CARICOM declaration, and you said that interventionism, imperialism, are motivations uh, in in that group of countries, and and they counter that those supporting the CARICOM declaration, the CARICOM countries and, and, and other South American and Central American countries, are those that have benefited directly uh, from Venezuelan generosity uh, during the Chavez and Maduro, Maduro years. That a lot of them, if not all of them, are members of the Petrocarib uh, arrangement for energy that many of them are members of ALBA and get money from the ALBA bank. And so that you're talking uh, non-intervention, you're talking non-interference, but, but you're really talking about the fact that you want to continue on the gravy train. And so your talk of principle is, is flawed, and, and you're saying that their talk of principle is, is misguided or flawed because... They are interested in violating the principle of non-intervention in pursuit of, of, of hegemony, in pursuit of oil, in pursuit of control. Um, how do we know who is talking the truth um, when it comes to principle? Who is talking from a genuine place of principle and who is speaking from naked self-interest? Well, I would, I would say this. <coughs> St. Vincent and the Grenadines, we have benefited from the generosity of the, gov of the government of Venezuela, from the Alba Bank, and from Petrocarib. We have also benefited through the United States of America. Mm -hmm. They put a lot of money in the World Bank. We get soft loans from the World Bank. A lot of remittances come from abroad in the United States. A lot of our tourists come from the United States. So there are benefits. They, look, I could St. Vincent and the Grenadines, we are looking at the issue from the standpoint of the principles of international relations. When Dilma Rousseff was thrown out of office, former president of Brazil, former president of Brazil, through a combination of the courts and the assembly, the legislative assembly. When there, was, when there was talk by some persons to go to the OAS, to call for OAS to intervene in this flagrant removal of a duly elected president. And my response was, we can make the criticism, but we can't call for interference because they used the, the democratic processes and the constitutional means yes. to effect that change. And I said, the people of Brazil, We'll address that. Well, the current president in Brazil, no. I think he has a, 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 an approval rating of 5%. Yes, my father, and my well, not just that. There are several presidents in, Venice, in, in Latin America who is below 28%. But polls, polls don't, 
determine who rules. Yes. We, are, we are nations of laws, and we have to allow our institutions to function. Now, the, the issue of self-interest which concerns me, I must tell you this, not what people normally talk about with that. The move for regime change in Venezuela before, before presidential elections are due, because the, the assembly elections are going to be held later this year. So there are no elections which are to be held. Yes. The, the, the assembly elections later this year, the presidential elections late next year. Yes. Now, the rush by some for regime change would mean guns and refugees coming out of Venezuela to Trinidad, to Grenada, to St. Vincent and the Grenadines, to other places going up. We, a lot of people don't realize, by pushing for regime change, you're also going to create an influx of refugees and guns in these Caribbean countries. Yes. And that concerns me greatly as a self-interest point. Um, and when you, when, you, when you combine that with the demobilization which is taking place now, of the guerrilla group, the FARC, in Colombia, and the, the fits and starts of that demobilization. We are dealing with a, we are playing with fire by talking about people in governments and, and other countries intervening in, 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 in Venezuela. There'll be mayhem and you will have um, refugees and guns in all these places. Well, that's interesting. Um, I, I don't think I've heard anyone discussing uh, a potential impact on the Caribbean being an influx of illicit small arms and light weapons, an influx of uh, criminal elements, an influx of refugees potentially uh, from Venezuela uh, or even from Colombia when you're talking about the criminality. Um, and, and that's certainly a very scary scenario. Setting that aside for a second, though, what economically uh, would be the impact on the Caribbean, uh, on the OECS, on particular, in particular on St. Vincent and the Grenadines, if there was a successful intervention uh, in Venezuela, uh, or if the current government uh, collapsed in some way due to uh, intervention and instigation uh, by outside forces. What would that mean for us on the ground economically? Well, in addition, in addition to these, to what I talk about, the refugees and guns, um, which in fact it has started to happen already, particularly in Trinidad. Yes. Um, clearly, I don't know whether the new government in Venezuela will have the, the sense of solidarity and generosity with the Caribbean countries as the Bolivarians have. Yes. I, I don't know. Um, of course, we will still buy oil from them. Pedavesa is in the business of selling oil. I don't know whether the terms would be on the same, would be the same, because I'm reminded that 
prior to Chavez being in office, there was the San Jose Energy Accord in which Venezuela had offered something similar I see. As, as under the Petrocarib, but it is the Petrocarib Chavez which put the muscle behind it yes. and operationalized it. So I, and we have had a history since Vincent Grandins and the region, we have had a history of being very close to Venezuela and governments of all stripes in Venezuela. Having said that, we are not in the business of advocating regime change in any country in Latin America. And we are not in the business of, of um, seeking to abrogate the fundamental principles of independence and sovereignty and non-interference and, and non-intervention. Now, what, what is happening in Venezuela? Uh, what is that doing, in your view, uh, to the legacy of Hugo Chavez and the, the Bolivarian Revolution? And indeed, the, the fact that just a few years ago, there seemed to be a, a leftward swing uh, in, in Latin America and even in the Caribbean, where uh, countries were were moving towards more progressive uh, social democracies and, and people-centered yes. movements. So what, what do you think about what's happening in... Well, does it tarnish to Chavez's legacy and, and, the, and the leftwards? Well, well it, it, it makes his legacy weaker than it otherwise would have been the case, mm -hmm. clearly. Um, the problem is this, though, looked at in structural terms. You need a longer period of time to restructure your economy from one which is just dependent on oil alone, to have other, other pillars in the economy. Yes. And that has not happened. The same thing, the same difficulty with Trinidad and Tobago faces. It's, it's part of the quote-unquote curse of oil. Yes. Um, some countries have done well with it, like, for instance, the Emirates, Qatar, um, where the, the, the Saudi Arabia, of course, those are different kinds of systems sure. of, of um, governance, but they've established sovereign funds. And population sizes as well. Population <laughs> sizes as well. They have established sovereign funds to the extent now that Qatar and the United Arab Emirates are earning more in revenue from the sovereign funds than, they, than from and the export oil of revenue, oil. Yes. So that... That, that those, but that has taken a prolonged period of time, and it, it has taken place in those countries when there's great consensus under monarchs which have a hold over the population, their authority systems. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a challenging thing to be done in competitive democracies. But, but what is important is that the Bolivarians, Chavez and Maduro, they have used their resources, the resources of oil, to benefit poor people in Venezuela. People tend to forget that before Chavez came to office, poverty was 80% in Venezuela. Yes. And unemployment was rampant. In, in a country with the, the largest oil reserves in the and world. That's the point. And that's having the largest oil reserves. That's one of the reasons why some enterprises backed by their governments want to put their hands on the oil. Yes, yes. Now, 
CARICOM within the within the, the OAS, we've been talking about this declaration and CARICOM unity uh, managed to thwart what you've been calling as an interventionist declaration. Yes. Um, is is the battle over? Nah. Is is CARICOM under pressure currently from yes from yes. other powers? Yes. And how do you see this yes. battle playing out in, CARICOM, the, in the near term? CARICOM leaders are under pressure. No question about it. And and they're under pressure from who? From forces which are hege hegemonic in the region. I'm not going to call any countries. But the, the, the point about it is this. The world today is a different world than a few years ago. And once we in, Carib in CARICOM keep ourselves united and keep ourselves within the tradition of Manley, Burnham, Jagon, Williams, Barrow. Once we keep ourselves within that frame and enunciate the principles which have been enunciated to defend sovereignty and independence and to defend the principles of non-intervention and non-interference in the internal affairs of a state, that I don't see how they can get illegal cover through the OAS to intervene. They may try to get some other cover. Yes. Because what, what is interesting to me is that in April 2015, in Jamaica, when CARICOM had a meeting with President Obama, and from there we went to the Summit of the Americas in Panama, April 2015, Obama had just issued a, an executive order saying that Venezuela was a national security threat to the United States of America. I recall that. And Obama, in his presentation, both to CARICOM and also to the Summit of the Americas, was up front. He said, listen, Venezuela is a threat to the national security of, of, um, of the U.S., US. He says it's way, way down on the totem pole. You could hardly see it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and and he says, well, you know, there are these formal declarations. But what that declaration, what that executive order did, was to allow the dogs of war in the agencies and apparatuses of the American state to have a legal cover to help them with interventionist moves. Yes. And a few days before Obama left office, he renewed. The executive order. So he, he didn't he didn't leash the dogs before he left. No 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 no. They were they were they were the dogs of war were still let go. Yes. And and they they're still there. So I I, but it's not a security threat. How could Venezuela, twenty seven million people with uh, 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 an infrastructure which is not very developed and which which doesn't have. Um, an, an army of any significance, how could it, how could it be a security threat? Yes. It's, a, it's a joke. And, and Obama himself had acknowledged that. No, you, you, we've talked about, we're talking about the, the fact <coughs> that CARICOM is still under pressure. Within the OAS, the Organization of American States, which has about 34 members. Yes. And CARICOM numbers in about 14. 14. Are, are, is, it, is it overstating it? to say that, at, diplomatically at least,
CARICOM is is the firewall uh, within the OAS against intervention. Clearly, in, in, clearly in that in that regard, because you have countries which are very strong, like CARICOM, with governments which are not bending on this issue. Governments of so there are fourteen CARICOM countries. There's Venezuela, Bolivia, Nicaragua, um, Ecuador, Dominican Republic, and and um, El Salvador. Now, I must say that Dominican Republic has been quite honorable in this matter, even though, as you know, that I have very strong words to say about them in relation as to how persons of Haitian descent. Dominicans of Haitian descent. Dominicans yes. of Haitian descent have been treated. But on this issue of non-intervention and non-interference and sovereignty and independence, they have stood firm with CARICOM. Now, do you think that the, the CARICOM firewall will hold against the increasing pressure? Well, we have to make sure it holds, but imperialism is not sleeping. Yes. Those who want Venezuelan oil and those who want political hegemony they're not sleeping. So it's a, it's a battle. But Goliath doesn't win every battle, you know. David slew Goliath With a sling and a document of the Organization of American States is its charter. The principles enshrined in that charter bind all of the OAS member countries together. When Venezuela signed the OAS charter back in 1948, when St. Vincent and the Grenadines signed it in 1981, when each of the 34 members of the organization signed the charter, they became bound by its rules and its principles. And they understood clearly the rights, the responsibilities, and the restrictions built into that body. If you look up the OAS Charter and you look at the principles of the body, it says, and, and, and I'll quote it, international law is the standard of conduct of states in their reciprocal relations. And international order consists essentially of respect for the personality, sovereignty, and independence of states and the fruitful fulfillment of obligations derived from treaties and other sources of international law. So, so listen to that. International order, as opposed to global chaos, consists essentially of respect for the sovereignty and independence of states. And, and in case you thought that was too vague, the Charter goes on to say that every state has the right to choose without external interference its political, economic, and social system and to organize itself in the way best suited to it and has the duty to abstain from intervening 
in the affairs of another state. I mean, think about that. It's amazing. Right there in black and white on page one of the OAS Charter is the principle that, if it was honored, halts all of these thinly disguised first steps towards externally orchestrated regime change. Respect for the sovereignty and independence of other countries. Do not intervene in the affairs of another state. Follow international law. And here's why esoteric and abstract things like sovereignty, non-intervention, and international law mean something to small, poor countries like St. Vincent and the Grenadines. We are not going to beat anyone in a war. We are not going to beat back any invasion. We have no army. The thing that stops us from being invaded or colonized or subjugated isn't our money, our material, or our military. It's a little thing called international law. Without it, we're subject to the political whims and fancies of our more powerful neighbors. This is the, this is the crossroads where Venezuela and CARICOM meet today. One, beating back an attempt to usurp its sovereignty, and the other, defending a principle upon which our status as nations rely. Yes, Venezuela has been a strong and steadfast friend, and a friend in need should not be delivered on a silver platter to its historical enemies. And yes, we know instinctively that if Venezuela's existing problems were taking place somewhere else, somewhere further away from certain countries or further away from certain oil deposits, those problems wouldn't merit even a concerned murmur from those now trying to benefit from misfortune. And yes, I weep for those enmeshed in turmoil in Venezuela. The citizens of Venezuela have long been our brothers and sisters and friends and trading partners. Their pain is our pain. We must try to play an active and responsible role in promoting dialogue and solutions to this political impasse. But the road to political anarchy is paved with the good intentions of those who ignore history and sacrifice principle on the altar of political expediency. No citizen of the Caribbean and Latin America should condone treating the OAS Charter like some sort of a buffet table from which countries can choose and refuse convenient principles of international law. The choice is between the international rule of law and the might-is-right misadventures in regime change. The choice is between helping Venezuela and helping deliver her to her enemies. So in reality, there really is only one choice. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please link and share and, and tell all your friends about it. And until next time, be strong and hold a firm meditation.